Welcome to EPM Conversations. My name is Cameron Lockpour, and I have with me today my co-hosts. Tim German. Selvan Katukaran. And our very special guest. Sri Manan from Argan. Uh, welcome. Welcome. Um, so uh, I'd like to just give a little um, to the relationship between the, the speakers on this podcast, because... I think you, our listeners, our, our three or four listeners already know, including my mother, um, who we are. But Selvin and Sri, would you talk a little bit about um, the way you know each other? Because there's a personal connection more than just a professional one. Oh, there is. So funny. I, I always tell Sri and others that Sri is probably a community person rather than more being an Oracle guy because... I happen to know Sri from the OTN forums, and I believe he was the first Oracle, or the one that I know, uh, who started to reach out to people through the forums, trying to see how the tool has been used, uh, which I have not, but right now you see that in the cloud instance, people are there, the managers are there, the product team is there, they talk to you. But that was not the case when it was not cloud. When it was on-prem, Sri had a Calc Manager form. He used to talk to people there. And that's how we met. Uh, One of the questions I asked or some stupid answer that I gave, Sri tried to correct me or uh, put sense to me. That's how we connected. And then we later found out that we're both from the same state back in India. And the other funny thing is, when we started talking about it, he used to live like two miles for the U.S. people or three kilometers for the rest of the people who don't follow our crazy system. Uh, That he used to live really close to where I used to live. And I was a little kid, but if we were there, we know common people from there. Uh, So then it became a connection. We both uh, became friends uh, and uh, we started talking about Oracle stuff late night and then call a few people in Oracle space I call as friends and Sri is one of them. So that's the personal relationship between me and him to all of you listeners. Sri, even in the forum, uh, when I saw his last name, I knew where he was from. But again, the thing is that how do you contact somebody, right? And I think I, I don't exactly remember, but then I you know, I think we reached out, I gave him my email and thinking we contacted and then when we started talking about when we actually had common people that we knew, right? That is how the whole you know relationship also built. So. Great. Great. Just shows you how um, small our professional world is. Um, it is global and yet it is it is astonishingly um, small in number, small in numbers, but not in distance. So, um, Sri, uh, could you give, so Selvin mentioned that you um, were at one time the calculation manager, um, I guess, product manager, development manager. Could you could you give us and our listeners some background on who you are otherwise? Um, yeah, so I joined with Hyperion in, in 2000, right? So when I joined... Uh, for people who probably know prior to years, there was a product called Appman. And I was basically assigned to Appman just to get an idea about what the functionality of, you know, uh, they were trying to, you know, they were trying to actually come up with a, you know, ES. And when I actually joined, they were actually writing this whole thing using JSP. Pretty much it was very clear that that is not going anywhere. And that is when we started, you know, architecting the whole ES around thick line, which is a database thing, right? So, in the years, I think I spent about three years there. I was the first remote employee for uh, Hyperion at that time. And I was in New Jersey and people that just didn't believe uh, that somebody could actually be in New Jersey when I was first of the development team was in California. Uh, so, it was my <laughs> thing to actually prove to, prove to them that, you know, remote guy can actually work and perform better than those guys. So, but anyway, in the first half of three years, you know, we kind of completed everything that was in ES and it was coming to a point where, you know, there's nothing more to do with ES. And that is where I kind of opted out of ES and moved into the planning domain. 
And that is where we actually started. And we actually had a product called HBR, uh, IPM Business Rules. And then we are next, you know, product called Calc Manager, where they actually wanted to bring in uh, editing of rules for both planning as well as HFM. And I think it was about 2003, 2004, where we POC, you know, the POC, we prototype that we actually started coming uh, out with Calc Manager. And I don't remember exactly, you know, at some point in time, somebody sent me a, a blog and at that time I said, what is a blog? And somebody said, oh, I, I actually happen to, why I hate and love Calc Manager part. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to stir up some controversy. So Sri, so all the listeners who love him or hate him, Sri is the one behind two of the changes from App Manager, which people love. Uh, into EAS and then he killed the HBR. So he's the one you should go and find if you are in a hate relationship with uh, two of the other products. <laughs> yeah. And again, that, that, least, uh, and that actually happened to be Cameron's blog. And yeah, I know the guy. That's why I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I reached out to him again, as Selvin said, we are actually in this business because we are actually passionate about what we do, right? Uh, you know, I get a you know thrill out of how people when people start using my product, you know, in any way shape, and if I'm able to help them out, it, and I, I I get my pressure out of the whole thing, the experience. So I remember reaching out to camera and I said, okay, this is my number, this is my email. You know, if somebody wants to reach out to me, you know, please go ahead. Right? Jokes aside, uh, when I said HBR and Calc Manager and App Manager and EAS, when when we when I started using Calc Manager. Cameron also did. There were quite a lot of features that people didn't know is there, uh, like a debug feature. I have not seen anyone using that debug feature in Calc Manager efficiently. Uh, so I guess that's where your community involvement came in, and you started talking uh, some of the uh, the user group forums. You t- started talking on the on the community website. Uh, I guess that's the passion was there and which is why i said earlier you are a community guy uh, who is passionate about developing all these things but was there an approach to publicize this like we were doing it uh, but from oracle standpoint was there formal things that introduced or calc manager was something like off the side it was not a real product it was just helping other things uh, so i i have a feeling that a uh, lot many people don't know the full potential of these products. That is always true, right? Because Calc Manager for Oracle purpose or IP thing, it was never a paid uh, you know, product, right? It was actually bundled with either HFM, if you bought HFM or you know, if you bought uh, you know, planning, right? And just like ES, uh, nobody actually paid for ES, right? You know, if you bought uh, space, you probably got an ES along with it. But as you said, uh, you know, we, we tried from out uh, from my side, you know, creating some old tubes and you know whatnot. But uh, yeah, uh, Selvin, I know that uh, that is what you mentioned is correct. A lot of people don't experiment with the product; they just come in, they write a script, they do what they already know, and they just leave it like that, right? So yeah, that's interesting, Sri. Do you do you mean that because products like Calc Manager and EAS? Uh, they make implementers' lives easier, but they don't actually add like net new functionality. Is that the, therefore they're they're kind of it's always tougher to argue for enhancements to those things. Yeah, the, the thing is that uh, yeah. So if if I'm Oracle, if I have a product that is selling called HFM and planning, right? You know, like for example, a FAR Studio, right? There's the reporting tool. There's no point. Just you know, nobody buys a FAR by itself, right? One of the things you you mentioned um, was uh, converting. Well, Sub, I guess Salman mentioned it. Converting um, the old Hyperion business rules to um, calculation manager and application manager to EAS. Application manager was it was so long ago. It was a Win thirty two application, right? It was it was great, by the way. That was a lightning fast tool. Although you know it. It ended. Its use ended so many years ago. I don't think it ever had a big outline, big dimension pointed against it. I don't know what it would have happened with anything large, but with smallish cubes, it was um, 
it was a breeze. So that was a that was a conversion from um, a true client server architecture to a web based one, right? A J, I guess a JTE. Um, not totally sure what the, the middle layer is. And then HPR had two iterations, I, I think. One was part of the Hyperion desktop. This this is the very beginning of planning. This must be like 2002 or something like that. That's not what you converted. You converted the add-in to EAS, right? It's, it, it's again, been ages and ages um, since that happened. Yeah. Do, I, do I have that right? Yeah, if you look at app and there was no, I don't know whether it can say conversion because they're two completely different products, right? There was nothing that you can actually take from Appman into ES, right? There is not nothing stored in, you know, Appman that you need to convert, right? Uh, in case of HPR and Calpana, it's not the same, right? You actually had certain rules, it was stored and, you know, in a certain way. So if you want to migrate to Calpana as once, you actually had to convert them into something that Calpana understood, right? Mm-hmm. But there is not such a transition from App Man to EAS. No, just the OTL file. That was the only that was the only commonality between them. Yeah. So your your job with Hyperion, then Hyperion, was a was architectural. I mean, it wasn't just here's a net new product. You were taking existing tools and recreating yes. them. Yeah, so we, that's what I said, right? When I joined, uh, yes, uh, uh, they were going with the JSP technology and pretty much we found out that we couldn't actually do outline editing using JSP, right, you know, on the web. Uh, so I have to, I basically had to, you know, uh, provide or, you know, provide inputs into, this can only be done using a thick one, right? At that time, if you look at the web technology, you couldn't actually create an outline editor on, on the on the on the browser, mm-hmm. uh, and without an outline editor, yes, actually has no future, right? Yeah. So yeah. the only option that we had to do was to actually have a thick line on Java thing, and that is what we you know we architected and what we. Mm-hmm. And it still exists with Oracle with SBase Cloud, right? This, I've not used it, but this is EAS Lite. Do I have that right? Or am I getting my products confused? Yeah, I, I don't know what the thing is that they still actually have the ES thick line. We I still use it. Okay, and uh, it works against SBase Cloud. It does. Yeah, there's a there's a version against SBase Cloud. You have to choose. You have to choose whether you want your applications to be ES Lite managed or Jet mm-hmm. interface managed. So it's it's not completely flexible, but it is still there if you want the sort of security I would, blanket I would in the old the style. Preference. That's a it's a pretty good outline editor. Yep, yep. I've I've seen worse. That's for sure. Yeah. So um, I'm sorry that I insulted you with my blog about calculation manager. I I honestly don't remember what it was that I wrote about because it was so long ago. I will tell you that that was one of my most popular posts. You know, when I would go onto the blog, the blog still exists. Um, but when I looked at the Google Analytics, that was one of the top five. Like always. Yeah, without your blog, I connected with you and, uh, you know, a lot of other mm-hmm. people, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, the outreach was definitely there. I, I enjoyed it. Sri, I remember you mentioning about the startup. I was just going back to the conversation about the Hyperion. So what was this, I, I forgot, like, was the startup bought by Hyperion and that's how you ended no, up not, at it? Okay. No. So back in 94, I actually had met a guy who was probably... Uh, Fifth, fifth, tenth, or you know, one of the few first employees of Oracle. Uh, so he basically wanted to actually do a, uh, a, a SQL optimizing tool for Oracle. So that is a startup that we started in '94, and one year into the business, we sold it to a company called Platinum Technologies. Uh, they were headquarters in uh, Chicago. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, so I worked with this guy Robert, uh, you know, Gersten for you know five years, and then he became the engineering head for Hyperion. And uh, in one of the conversations, he called me up and he basically said, uh, you know, uh, can you work for Hyperion? So, <laughs> yeah, and I, the only condition for me was that as long as I can be remote, uh, I don't want to move to California. Uh, I'm that okay. was exactly what I was going to ask: is where where were you at the time? Because they were in Sunnyvale, right? They were, they were in yeah, part of that company at least was in Arbor's old um, fancy headquarters, right? Yeah, 
So Sunnyvale and uh, yeah, just imagine those days, right? Uh, uh, still, I think it was modem, you know, 20, I think it was the, probably 56.6 or something. And I think somewhere in the after I started with the Hyperion, maybe big, somewhere in the middle of 2000, uh, late 2000, I, I got my ISDN line. You had a, you, you really had one? Those things were expensive. Um, at least that's what I remember. Um, in the not a TVN line, ISDN wasn't that expensive. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. Uh, okay, it's but a TVN line is expensive, but ISDN was about sixty-four KB. Mm-hmm. Right, I think that is the speed. I haven't heard that term in a long time. <laughs> I remember them. I just yeah, that's why I got so excited. Wow. So. So you you were there. You were at Hyperion. You were the the first remote employee. I guess you were you were living in New Jersey. Yes, and then what actually happened was that uh, I think you know within a year year and a half, I think I had uh, more colleagues move out of California into different parts of the country, and they're all working remotely. You know, you're uh, a trailblazer. Not to brag myself, they actually had this uh, what is that excellence award uh, kind of a thing. Somebody has to nominate you. And, uh, yeah, so I got nominated uh, consecutively like, like four times or five times. Uh, because it was, it was a passion for me just to prove to them that, you know. Uh, so people thought three can get four awards. Let's move out. <laughs> get a, get no, the thing is that once they figure out that they, you can be more productive and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, work. Yeah, we all, you know? we all seem to work remotely now. Well, I mean, beyond the last two years, even before the last two years, most, much of my work was remote. Um, I tried to minimize travel as much as I could. Seems to work. Um, and California is also expensive. I mean, California has a reputation today of being expensive. It was expensive in the oh, yeah. 1990s as well. That that has not changed um, over the last 20 years. Uh, that, that's been a constant. So, what was your what was your path out of school? Um, so, Selvin, as an example. Just to give you a, a background on our, our degrees and just how much or how little it has applied to our professional life. I have a business degree, an undergrad business degree. Tim is a, Tim, you're a philosophy major or you're a PPE? I can never remember. Philosophy. No, that's right. Selvin's an yeah, electrical that's, engineer. That's right. I mean, none of us, well, Tim, you might be an amateur. You might be an amateur um, philosopher. But I'm not an amateur businessman, and uh, Selvin was an electrical engineer, and he doesn't do electrical engineering. How about you? Well, I hate did programming when I was in college. Yeah, well, but the stuff that ease would take, though, right? I mean, that's a pretty. You're not designing circuits, I guess, is what I'm. What I'm. Yeah, no, right. No, it's right. Yeah. So, Sri, how about you? I mean, where where does your? I actually have a bachelor's degree in physics and then a master's degree in computer science. Ah, right? okay. So there's the there's the comp side. Um, yeah, gotcha. There's actually someone who is doing what they <laughs> I, I was actually really surprised because the first job I came to was an IBM project for UPS, uh, and there were there might have been about 120 people on the project, and obviously we, you know, we had about 20 guys from India, Indian guys, and the rest of the guys were all you know local Americans, and at that time, if you look look at the thing. Maybe like there'll be five people who actually had computer science, anything to do with computer science. Mm-hmm. And we all asked us, so the Indian guy, guys came with all these computer science degrees. But and I, that was an eye opener for me that saying that we, uh, we actually had carpenters, you know, uh, 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 construction guys, ballet dancers, all these guys actually was actually, uh, you know, working along with me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Be- do you, do you find that uh, there, there are times when I'm doing something, when I'm coding something, and I think to myself, if I'd been a comp sci major, I know I would have learned this. And now here I am, you know, trying to read stack, um, trying to trying to find websites that have an example of what I'm trying to do. I, do, do, do you find that having that, that academic background in a subject helps or is it is it so long ago that it, it, it might have helped at one time, but it's it's sort of pointless now? No, it really, it really, really helped, right? Mm-hmm. You know, at least in my thinking, right? Because uh, at least that is what I think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, when I was on a project where they, you didn't actually have a real computer science background, how do I explain to you about the data structure, yeah. right? How do I 
uh, <clears throat> talk about different algorithms that you, you can actually use in your code. Uh, it, it was kind of you know difficult to explain to people. Mm-hmm. You know, it actually has a science pattern, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is today. Today, when I started the thing, you know, we actually had this MS DOS with what 540 KB, right? So you actually had to write, you know, a piece of code that fit into that memory space. Right, so you actually have to be very disciplined in your coding. You have to worry about your algorithm. You have to worry about your memory management. You have to actually have precise, you know, concise coding. Nowadays, I don't think anybody cares about those things, right? Because of the processing speed, you, you know, typically people don't tend to worry about, uh, you know, using the best algorithms or memory or, you know. Mm-hmm. Cameron, now we know where the good code and bad code is coming. <laughs> Yes, I think. Uh, you know, no, this yeah, is an inside joke that's about that's stuff that we use. And sometimes yeah, every extra unwanted byte that you are looking at, I actually ask my my team, why are you doing it? You know, uh, just because it comes free doesn't mean that you know you should do it, right? Yeah, I guess it's a good time to uh, since we are talking about programming and everything. I was one of the people who started with the alpha version of Groovy. Uh, I don't know whether not many people there remember. I know, of course, you do remember, Sri, because I was always asking you to get the logs behind the scenes so that I can see it. And uh, that's when Groovy was first introduced. We were kind of like the guinea pigs for testing the Groovy on the alpha version. Why is that split? Like, we are talking about good coders, bad coders, and all those stuff. Very passionate advocate of this, but then I, I still wanted to ask because been in conversations where people were asking, there was a good programming language there f- to use with planning. SPACE calculus were there. What was the thought process behind introducing an OOPS concept and an OOPS language into Hyperion planning? The, you know, if you go back in the thing, the main reason why I can't say movie, but the thing is that. Anytime when, when people like on the modules time, right, the project or CapEx or workforce, every time they needed an enhancement, it, 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 you know, it is a pain the like because you actually had to now go back and, you know, uh, put resources to make some changes in Calc Manager. We have to do the plumbing work on the planning side to consume it. So every time you want to make a small change, it all became, you know, really uh, difficult to, uh, or basically it's actually very customized, right, but to, one particular uh, problem that you're trying to solve. So we were thinking about a generic way that whether can can this something that, you know, like a scripting language, whether it can be generalized, right? And that is how this whole thought about Ruby came in. And it was actually done for the internal purpose of consumption, right? For the CapEx and, you know, uh, the modules. Also, it was internal. So it was yeah. there when we were with on-premises planning or this was when it went into... P- what was then PBCS? We started off with the PBCS thing, okay. right? So originally, you know, it was Prasad's idea that, uh, you know, uh, Prasad is my boss. Uh, uh, he is the one who basically said, okay, why don't we just do the Groovy thing? That, but the first thing was to, for me to do a POC and figure out whether I can actually do a sandboxing, right? That means uh, letting you write a Groovy script, but not going beyond the, you know, the security model that we have, you know, to provide, right? You can't bring down the system. You cannot actually access something that you're not allowed to, not allowed to access. So that was the first POC that we did, at least I did, and to make sure that that is actually feasible. And that is then, you know, we said, okay, now you can actually, you know, extend it to, you know, the modules and other people, right? So that is how it came about. How has it, um, how has it changed planning applications? I mean, it did. Ha- you you created it because well, Oracle created it. You created. It. You're the guy that was. You were charged with exploring this. You built a proof of concept. It worked. Uh, then it was. You know. Then the decision was made to roll it into the product as as part of uh, the formal offering. Oh no, I'm sorry. Then it was behind the scenes to support capex and other modules, and then it was. Yep. Released to the public, and that's where Selvin came in, right? As part of no, no, I've got this releasing wrong. to the public. Yeah, no, 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 no. You got the part till there. It was not released to public. We had a special version. 
that supported CapEx or that supported Groovy. That supported Groovy. So it was maybe I'm, what I should have said is just exposed it to the public because yep. it was there, right? It was just there behind it, the scenes. Yeah. Then it then it yeah. became. So um, I guess that does get back to my question, though. The functionality is there. The expectation is that people will do customers will do unusual things or at least highly customizable things. Is that what you've observed? Have have people really taken it and done all sorts of innovative stuff? Yeah, it basically kind of evolved, yeah. right? Because I, you know, even for T, it's somebody like Kelvin or Cameron, you're the guys who actually use the thing, and it kind of evolved, right? I can't as a as a techno. I'm a technology guy. If you give me a problem, I can solve it, but I can't find the use cases where you know it can be used. And I think uh, as you, you know, you guys, as you start using it, you guys actually came up with more and more, uh, uh, you know. Right. I guess we give uh, three run for his money because we created the entire thing. At that time, hybrid was not there. We shifted the entire planning from BSO into ASO. Without Groovy, that was not possible at all. Like our entire planning was on ASO. The the whole thing was done on Groovy script. If it was not there, we couldn't have done it. So yeah, it uh, it changed it quite a lot because I kind of spun up my own hybrid before hybrid even came into picture. How common of a use so, yeah. case is that though? I mean, isn't that an edge one? Um, yeah, I, I guess that's where uh, it is. Uh, maybe Sri is going to uh, enlighten us upon that because I believe you don't have to use Groovy. There's still the old SPA's code is there. You can still do things in the normal way or not that traditional way. Yeah, traditional way. Uh, so you can, I think you can still do that. I don't think the SPA's scripting engine went away and it's all in Groovy. These are the edge cases, or I would say, or I used to say, uh, this is where if the regular calc engine is ending and then you cannot proceed any further with that regular engine. That's where Groovy can be the, the steroid. Like you could say, now this is where that limit is. Uh, I am stuck there. Now let's do it in here because there the, the possibilities were endless. So isn't that still the case? You can still use the yeah, regular engine. Even on the pod today, you cannot just limit it to CalScript, right? So you can actually do maintenance of the pod even using Groovy, right? So uh, of late, you know, we have actually, you know, uh, in the EPM world, we have something called EPM Automate, which is actually yeah. you know, a lot of maintenance thing. Now you can actually script the whole thing using Groovy uh, and run this EPM Automate commands. Uh, this again is an evolution, right? Because people said, okay, I actually have, it's just like smart view, right? If you have an Excel sheet today, and if you want to share it with somebody else, either you have to email them or put it on a network drive that somebody else has actually access to. So there is no central place. There is no security around it. Right? So today, now, a lot of people came back and said, okay, I want to basically use you know, Groovy to actually maintain my pod. I don't want some guy to actually have a script running, running you know, maintaining this thing from somebody's laptop, right? So that is another extension to, 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 to the Groovy thing. How how has it changed? This, I guess this is mostly from a consulting perspective, but but administrators as well. How how is the profile of someone who uses Groovy with planning changed? So you know, I made the the comment about educational backgrounds, and sometimes I really wish I'd been a computer science major, but I'm not. Um, Groovy is an object oriented programming language, right? I mean, it's the real deal. What has happened to um, the profile of the typical planning practitioner. I know there's lots of community stuff out there, right? Kyle Goodfriend has, or had, I don't, I don't know if he has it any longer, training training sessions, a training class is strictly around groovy and planning. Has there been, has there been a big take up of groovy enhancements, you know, customized groovy enhancements at the customer level? Or is this, is this something that is still not fully embraced? If more than 50% of the current really? ports actually have customized. Oh, uh, interesting. Interesting. So it really has been, it really has been adopted then. Yeah. 
So this is not out of the box thing. I'm just saying that people who have written customized uh, Google script, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, the only challenge uh, right now we face is that uh, some people, you know, they write, uh, I know I, I, I can say for the same CalScript too, is that they write inefficient code and, uh, you know, then we have to do some consulting work uh, to, uh, you know, to clean this up. And that oh, is, yes. that uh, was the case all the time. Yeah. That's, that's always there. So people did adapt it. That's, yeah. that's mm-hmm. what we're Okay. Yeah, because always, Cameron and I always talk about these edge cases that, okay, this is just an edge case. I don't think many people are using it. 50% is huge. So just, just imagine, right? So this guy was as an example, right? So uh, one customer, they actually have, you can actually build you know, planning farms, one farm from this part and, and another farm from a different part, right? Mm-hmm. So now, one of the things is that, okay, so you're actually having a dashboard with two, two grades. One is from part one, other one is from part two. You know the user variable concept, right? Mm-hmm. If I yeah. make, make a you know change in you know if I select a page uh, member make a change, next time you go somewhere, you know that is pre-selected to that particular uh, 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 MRU, right? That is. Mm-hmm. So now they basically one of the guys actually wanted to basically say, okay, I want the other part also to reflect the same things. Oh, so you okay. Push it across. Right? So. Yeah, so Groovy came in handy and we said, okay, anytime you actually have a thing, we wrote a Groovy rule, which actually made a rush call to the other part, said, okay, this is this user who's, you know, this variable actually has to be changed. Now, anybody sitting there, you know, the same guy, you know, everything is actually now in sync. No, that's pretty slack. Uh, we actually had a use case where they actually wanted to initiate an LCM export from one part and imported into other thing, right? They, you made some, they actually had a concept of a master part and a, you know, I don't know, Three parts. Again, using Ruby, we exported things out of one part and we moved it to the other part, and then you initiated a LCM import on the second part. Wow. So it has evolved beyond the modeling; it has evolved into the yeah. administration tool as well. Yeah. There are places where it was repeated code, and though some of them that I have done is part of a method call now. Uh, like I, I went back and looked at the PBCS release documents and the Groovy document. There are a lot of them which I had to write ten or fifteen lines of code. Now is part of the API call itself, yeah. where you just call that method and it's there. Gotcha. So that makes sense. That's what I was saying. Yeah. You cannot see me shaking my head. Uh, no. It's there. Yes. That makes <laughs> sense. I mean, it really seems like a very logical way to do it. When, when I mean, I'm just saying from my experience, like there are some Excel functionality that was there we had to mimic it through pure groovy language but then later releases oh, I see. that that got part of the product itself i didn't mean that they are looking at the code and then making changes i didn't mean it that way but knowingly unknowingly it became mm-hmm. part of the product oh, that's, as that's part know, of, part of people writing yeah, yeah. It's part of product um, unless otherwise there is a request from the customer saying that just as Helvin calls me up, like I have, I'm duplicating the same thing. Can you provide something out of gotcha. the box? So direct, Wait, direct right. requests via my Oracle support. Yeah, no. Gotcha, gotcha. How 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 is Groovy going to influence planning in the future? I mean, what's the what's the vision for this? There's this expandable language. To Selvin's point, new methods and properties get added to it. Um, where is it going? To me, it is going to. So right now, uh, you know, in the EPM world, we're actually having more and more different app, what we actually call as an application type, right? You have a regular PBCS app, you have an EPBCS app with uh, CapEx, workforce, you know, projects, and, and then you have QTPs and other, other things. Now, the idea is to basically, if you actually have, let's say, a tax calculation module, they don't want to write CalScript, right? They basically want the Groovy to provide functionalities, right, or the methods that does what that module is supposed to do, right? Whether it's a depreciation calculation, whatever it is, I'm, I'm not a, you know, a functional guy. So, but that is where the Groovy is going to go, is that, you know, Groovy becomes an extensible model to the application type that you're constructing and, you know, and in writing CalScript or any other thing, you would actually, we will expose uh, functional, functional methods into the Groovy model. Right, in order for it to work through that application. I guess this is the part where we should let the listeners know that internally, 
for Oracle, PVCS or EPVCS, whichever way you want to call it, that is a platform for Oracle. And all the other products that Sri mentioned is actually built upon PVCS. So that's where the yep. Groovy comes into play because it's used behind the scene on every one of these different products or modules. So it's, it's interesting. It's, it's both a, um, an internal development language and environment, and then it is parts of it, I guess, are exposed to customers. And they then create their own extensions and customizations on top of, um, on top of the planning platform. Interesting, interesting architecture. Yeah, internally in a, any other, yeah, I lead the platform team. So anybody who's updating the platform, there is also a consumer just like you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't get anything that is not exposed to you guys. You know, it's it, you know, it, it's it's the same thing that gets internally to other teams as well. Got oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, it, this is like I don't know. It seems to me that there would be a real competitive advantage for consulting companies to build solutions on your platform and then sell it, right? I'm company X. I work in vertical industry N, M, whatever it may be. And I've come up with this wonderful thing that solves a very specific um, vertical problem. Um, I don't know. Just to just hit me, that, that would seem like, I don't know about the world's hugest market, but um, a valuable uh, that could be a, that could be a value both to whoever buys it and to whoever invests the money to write the, the the product has that happened or is there just no way to to is there just no marketplace to do that there was a thing called oracle's marketplace back in when we were there i don't know whether does it still exist it, it seems like such an intriguing yeah. possibility I do even remember talking to Shankar about this exact same conversation, mm-hmm. but I don't know whether that's whether it exists or not. Interesting. Yeah, that is why I was alluding to right the Groovy model thing, right? So if I came up with like for example, if you take up uh, the FCCS application type, they actually have a consolidation process. Now, do you get to see how they do it? No, right? It's an API call that somebody makes, and then everything is done internally, right? Mm-hmm. So going forward, if you really, if really, want, you know, somebody's developing at this internally, Oracle is developing some technology, and you don't want to expose it, you know, they will probably provide a functional uh, method to do certain things. And uh, so, how do you duplicate that, right? Interesting. It's probably possible, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where where is planning going to go? So you the the product was you know, an application layer wrapped around S-Base. Then it became a cloud a version of that, right? There was a lot of work, but it's still at its still basically the same thing. Then Groovy came and expanded it. Then it became a platform. I mean, at one point, planning was just planning. There, there was no other, there was no concept of a platform behind it. Now it's a platform and it has an extensibility language and it's driving both Oracle's products, right? Powering Oracle's products, commercial products, as well as customer uh, customer customization. That sounds odd. What's next? Where where is this product going to go? The product, I think, uh, you know, uh, as long as there are requirements, you no know, functionality that is required by the client, it you know it goes on, right? I can't really say, you know, again, I'm a technical guy, mm-hmm. right? You know. You might actually have some issues uh, before, you know, tomorrow, and then we get to the point of actually how do you uh, solve that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, bringing, you know, blending uh, space information, you know, multidimensional information with the relational world. So again, it all depends upon what you know, what maybe somewhere you know. Again, it's not my uh, thing, but. Uh, somebody might look at an accompanying product and say, okay, there is a feature there. How do I, you know, mimic the same thing? Or customer might come back and say, I have a specific requirement to do this. How do I do this, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and then there is a technology change too, right? So, uh, we, we went from JavaScript to something called internally called an ADF. Uh, we are going back to Jet and now, you know, the technology is changing and, you know, all the classes thing, they, you know, it doesn't really affect, uh, you know, as a functionality to the customer, but in terms of look and feel, you know, technology changes, right? Mm-hmm. And 
what they really want is uh, not a tight bind. They want these microservices in, uh, built into the thing. There's something called VBCS, where you, you know, do your UI, which actually talks to REST APIs. Once you do that, uh, even externally, somebody can actually talk to you know the, the, the platform using REST APIs, right? So, exciting stuff. Yeah, and another thing is that like, there'll be a lot of integrations going on, right? When you when you actually have pulling data from GL or moving data, you know, when they, data comes in, you do some planning thing, you move it out. So those a lot of other inter- integration things with other Oracle products will come in, right? So, so um, the conference season is almost upon us. Um, well, I mean, we have a couple of two months, right? It's almost in April. Conferences seem to ha- happen in late spring, um, early summer. Are are you? I haven't been to a conference in two years. I've been going to conferences since like 1990. So the last two years, I mean, like literally every year, at least two. Um, and then the last two years, there have been exactly none. Um, but they're coming back, right? We we have a we have a member of the OD Tug board on our call, um, Tim German, actually the president of the OD Tug Board of Directors is on our call. Um, are you coming to Casco? Are you are you going to Open World? Um, Open World's changed its name. I'm sorry, Cloud World, right? I'm like, if I'm getting that right, will you be going to conferences? I'm sure for for a vendor. Oracle as of now actually has not opened up traveling, so I'm not sure. Oh, really? Yeah, I think even though I think uh, myself and the PM, we have actually presented a paper. I don't know what the status oh. is, but. I didn't realize that. Did not realize that. Oh, I hope it can happen. Yeah, that is one thing. And the second thing is that uh, I don't know how active you guys are, right? If you guys have, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 come, I go to you know Odi Tag or you know the case club thing is to meet you guys, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, if there is no familiar faces, you know that diminishes or you know yep. my excitement. The human, the human, the human contact makes a big difference. Yeah, yep. Yes. Yep, it's not the same. Virtual conferences are not the same. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope hopefully we all get to go. We hopefully all get to, to do our conferences. They're they're for for our listeners who don't do them. Um, you're really missing out. Uh, it, it's expensive, right? Going to a conference is expensive. It's it's opportunity income lost. It's um, travel. It's 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 food. Um, but beyond, I'm just going to give my pitch. I used to be on the board of directors of Oditug. I, I love that user group in particular. Um, you learn a lot. There there are side conversations you'll have um, going from one session to another. Um, if you're a customer, other customers. If you're a consultant, other consultants. So everything together. Um, it's just a fantastic professional experience. And it's a wonderful personal experience as well. I wouldn't know any of you. Um, I certainly wouldn't know Tim or Selvin if it weren't for um, message boards. That's how um, Selvin and, and Sri met um, and conferences. I don't see the rest of you outside of conferences. We all live all over the country. Um, I guess Sri, you and I are the, the, the closest just geographically. We're both in you know the Northeast. Um, so for those who are um, making a pitch to their employer about going to a conference, um, I guess I'm just trying to give you extra encouragement because it is, they are wonderful experiences. They're usually the professional high point for me, at least. Um, yeah, I, I strongly encourage all of you to, to go to at least one a year if you can, um, or get someone on your team to go and then make them take lots of really good notes so that the information can be shared. Um, I guess we have one, well, we have two questions for you. Selvin, why don't you ask these two highly personal, possibly interesting <laughs> questions? <laughs> <I'm sorry. personal. laughs> They're not that so. Bad. No, so when I got to get to know Sri, whenever we talk on a Sunday or uh, on, a, on a weekend, sometimes I won't be able to read Sri, and the reason being that is one: either he's biking, he's on a bike, driving somewhere, and when I heard that he owned a bike, I was surprised. Explain, was. explain the bike. Three, what, what kind of bike do you have? So, uh, uh, see, I always wanted to, you know, uh, I used to actually have, back in India, I used to actually have this thing called a scooty, right? Scooter. 
which is basically the gear sack you on your hand, and I don't know that you know any you know I've seen a, a scooter. Mm-hmm. But when I came here, I wanted to ride a bike, but then uh, you know once you have a wife and kid, where where exactly would you take this? So when I was when I hit my fifty years old, my daughter actually you know forced me to get a bike, and I was completely sure whether I'm going to. You know, because I talked to many people, some people went and bought the bike, but after one year, they threw it away, right? They, they lost interest. So, I went and actually got a starter bike, which is about 650cc. It's a Kawasaki Vulcan uh, uh, bike. And I rode it for like five years, and then I loved it. And then last year, I, you know, or year before that, I went and actually, last year, I went and got a, a Harley. You have a Harley, David? Oh, you got a Harley. <laughs> I figured yeah. you'd have a BMW. I don't actually know why. I just, I just assumed it. Um, what kind of, what kind of Harley do you have? What kind of bike do you? What, what's the model of the bike? It's a classic heritage okay. uh, bike. Big. Because the one that I actually had was a Kawasaki six hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a heavy bike, but then uh, I couldn't ride for more than maybe an hour, hour and a half, right? Because the seating was bad. And that is when I realized that I love it. I want to ride for it. And especially when the COVID actually hit, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to take my bike out for a longer ride. And and then I basically, that is the reason why I went to, you know. Uh, a big touring bike. So do you have it with now the... Now got a beard. Now we need to ask him whether he got a tattoo. <laughs> uh, not yet. Not yet. You know. Soon. Not yet. He's going to get his 1% tattoo. Yeah. It, so it's got, I long ago, I visited the Harley-Davidson factory in um, York, I think York, Pennsylvania, for a school project, 1990. It was a great factory. It was a great factory tour. You're not that far away, Sri. I, I don't know if you belong to a club or not, but I'm sure they've done organized rides to the... Uh... Oh, they yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. This isn't the engines, right? Just the frames, just the final assemblies down there. Um, but I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was... A, I love factories. I love seeing factory tours. So you've got the full fairing and the saddlebags and the, the all the comforts of home, right? Heated. Yeah, no, not, not the huge no, one, this is right? A you size one. Have, okay. Yeah, it's a decent size mm-hmm. one. It's it's uh, yeah. One if it actually tips over, right? I I need to call for help because <laughs> I can't because it weighs six hundred pounds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, you know. Riding, you know, I don't like to ride uh, on on highways. Usually, I ride it on my, you know, on the on the, you know, side roads, right? Pretty Enjoying right. the scenery. Yep. Usually, I do drive, take the bike, ride out for half, like two two and a half mm-hmm. hours, and stop, and then turn the Google Map okay. on and to get back home. Gotcha. Uh, oh, just drive wherever you go, and then and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. how do I get back from here? And, uh, sure. Yeah, or just pick up a. a, a, a State park or a national park, and this, you know, just that right there. That's great. That sounds fantastic. I got goals now. You, you want to get a Harley as well? You, Sammy, you had a motorcycle as well, right? In, in yeah, India? Yeah. Royal Enfield. You had a Royal Enfield, right. And Sri, you do you do something else that's um, unusual. Sri goes for car tournaments and he plays cards. Yeah, I, I, I actually have a, a passion for a card game, which is, I don't know how whether we have actually played a card game called Bridge. Mm-hmm. It's something very similar to Bridge, but it's actually played with six people, uh, three people on one team. You know, if you have no Bridge, four Bridge is played with four people, mm-hmm. two on one team. And it's very, very famous in the part where we come from. And I guess I was looking it up uh, to explain it to Cameron and Tim. And I found out that it's not just in India where people play in Sri Lanka. Most of the Asian countries that that variety of uh, bridge game is there. So he goes for tournaments. So he did yeah. say that he's going to come to our place next. So we actually have, uh, you know, uh, they they call it an international tournament, uh, just like the the World Series of you know in, in baseball or you know thing. Uh, basically, it's uh, an Indian series, uh, US guys, right? Yep, that's true. Uh, so yeah, so this year's uh, competition is actually in Florida. So I mean, it's funny that you and uh, Kumar Ramir, the the yeah, I'm sorry, that's that that's what I was going to say. Yeah, our last guest, but one was also a pretty bridge serious player, bridge player. player. Um, it's just an interesting, an interesting parallel. 
Uh, but not exactly the yeah, same game. It's not an easy game. You have to remember what everybody call, and you have to have a strategy, and you know, uh, and, and yeah, that's great. And this is something that you played when, when you know. See, remember the thing is that those days, uh, you know, I don't know the new generation people play this thing, but back in those days, you didn't actually have a cell phone. There was no TV, and uh, what you did was, uh, you know, spending your time. You played card games. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So play, playing cards. Yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So. Um, and uh, that is that is my number one passion, and everything else is second. No. <laughs> you just so I, I encourage our listeners to listen to Kumar's session because because said, no, I just managed. I, I used to drive you know on a weekend like eighty five miles to, to, you know one to way play, to play the game. Play the game. He, he said when he retires, he's going to do nothing but play bridge. That's it. That's yeah. his retirement goal: yeah. retire, play bridge. Um, you're not you're not that different. <laughs> There's. Yeah. There's a, a big commonality there, the same, the same goal. Yeah, so, you know, the thing is that pre-pandemic days, we used to play in person, right? You, you know, you go to a club, mm-hmm. you go to some place. Now, everything is online. And, uh, you play virtually, huh? Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, why not? <laughs> just, why not? Just put a camera in the Zoom meeting, and then, you know, the only thing is that, you know, you can't touch the other guy, but you can see them, you can talk to them, mm-hmm. but then you play online, right? That's funny. So, I look forward to this. And six people who knew each other, and then you know, and that's how we play. I look forward to the planning extension that does that does this yeah. <laughs> game. <laughs> Twenty eight, right? That's the name of the game. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, um, we've reached just an hour, Sri. Uh, thank you so much for coming and being our guest. Um, it's been thank fun. Thank me. I, I I hope that I hope that I'll, I'll make a little picture. I hope we get your coworkers. I would love to have um, Prasad and Shankar on the show as well. Um, we'll see. See pressure. Now we've made pressure, public pressure. We'll see if they come on our show or not. Hopefully. And I hope we. I hope we all see each other in person in June. Oh yes. 